Hello and welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill. I am your host as always. And today's quote is by Brene Brown. You either walk inside your story and own it, or you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness. You're going to love our topic and our guest today. We have Kay Allison, who is a captivating speaker who works with imposter syndrome, helping business executives and entrepreneurs turn it into a powerful asset. With a knack for facilitating dynamic meetings and workshops, Kay leaves attendees brimming with new perspectives and actionable insights. By using her seven power questions, she closed an impressive 85% of the projects she pitched as an innovation consultant. Kay is a true career chameleon, transitioning from a classical musician to a biz development director, consumer insight guru, author, professor, minister, and personal growth coach. Can you tell that she has ADHD? But all the coolest people I know do. So welcome, Kay. How are you today? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Heather. I am so excited to have the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to have you here. I mean, we have so many amazing things to discuss that are going to be of so much great value to our listeners. But let's go back. Let's go back because I hear that you have been sober for 24 years. It's so, true. Gosh, what a journey. So what's your perspective on... Uh, you know, the journey itself, why you drank, why you don't now, anything you'd like to enlighten our listeners about. So I was supposed to have been a boy named Matthew. And I was supposed to, if not that, at least fit in with my very serious, studious, rule-following, beige family. <laughs> and as you can tell, I have bright red glasses and a bright pink sweater on, and I am colorful and adventurous and playful and anything but serious, studious, <laughs> and beige. And so I grew up with the sense that existentially, like profoundly, something was very wrong with me. And I looked to everybody else for cues and clues about how I should show up in the world. I think that that created this like aching hole right in my solar plexus that no matter what I achieved or accomplished or earned, it never really satisfied that. And so I tried to drown it, you know, in vats of wine. And that worked until it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> until it didn't. What I have found in being sober since 1999 and helping hundreds of other women give up alcohol, that fear of being inadequate of feeling like we're not good enough, that inner voice, that constant chatter of not enough, not pretty enough, not thin enough, not tall enough, not young enough, not old enough, not whatever. Or the twin sister, you are way the hell too much and you need to dial it back. Mm -hmm. 
there's not a lot of comfortable space between those two narratives. And a lot of women that I know, that is kind of our profound issue in life. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I I mentioned when we first came on the call, how many people, how many of like the most successful people that we all know out there in the world that they claim to have this same exact feeling of not being enough and maybe they'll be found out at some point. And so if any of our listeners are currently feeling that, please know that you are not alone. Um, We've both felt it. A lot of people out there have felt it. So, so it's amazing what you have done to turn that around and to serve other people. Um, when it comes to imposter syndrome, do you think that it's more of um, an individual or maybe even a cultural issue? I believe that it is internalized patriarchy. Mm. I do. I think that in our Western culture, for thousands of years, women have been seen as held as less than, less capable, less strong, less, fewer rights, unable to participate in government. And I think the insidiousness is that we all have picked that up via osmosis because we are women, we are in women's bodies and we are alive in you know, the 2020s and we have taken it as something that's personally wrong with us as an individual. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have a coffee cup that says, I want to refill this patriarchy isn't going to smash itself. <laughs> but I think it is a radical act mm-hmm. to take exception with this internalized narrative that each of us has. The reason that I'm saying this is, It's not a unique individual pathology. There is nothing wrong with you. You have internalized a message. In fact, the statistic is 80% of all women in America today say that they don't feel like they're good enough. Something's wrong in this picture if 80% of us think we're not good enough. Mm, It 100% is. And you know, for those male listeners, yes, we recognize that all of the things that Kay's going to be talking about apply to you as well. But I'm going to say that th- that at our core, Kay, exactly what you're talking about rings so true. You know, you're fighting so many things, whether it's within yourself, those voices from families, from the community, from our country, from the world. Like we've got all of this weighing on us to remind us how we're not good enough. So what have you tried to convince yourself that you are good enough? What have you done? Well, I have tried a lot of things and found a lot of things that don't work. So let me tell you a few of the things that don't work. Okay. The first is fighting it and trying to like carve it out with a surgical knife. Mm -hmm. Tried that doesn't work denying it, stuffing it so I don't have to look at it, uh, that only makes the increase in power. Telling myself the opposite. Oh, you really are enough. That bounced off of me like there was a Teflon shield. Mm -hmm. My 
I, you know, my inner voice, whom I call Gertrude, uh, <laughs> would say, you know, that's nonsense. That's BS. You don't really believe that. Right. And so that didn't work. So I tried all of these kinds of things because once I couldn't drown her anymore, Gertrude, once I couldn't drown her anymore, there she was flourishing and living inside my head. So this is what I have learned. I have learned to, it started as accepting that this voice exists Mm -hmm. and coming to love it and embrace it and forgive it because the harder I push away at the things about myself that I don't like, they stick on like burrs. That's like cementing them in place. Mm -hmm. What I've found is that there is a spiritual dimension and there's a practical dimension. On the spiritual side, imagine this. Imagine that we have a small S self, which is our egos and based in fear. And we have this big S spiritual self, our peacefulness, our joy, our feeling connected, that that little S lives inside of. And I have found that this sense of I'm not good enough, instead of it being a problem, what if we considered it a tap on the shoulder saying, you need to connect, you need to connect right? Mm -hmm. So on a practical level, like I don't know how to make eyeglasses or zoom or the sweater I'm wearing or the microphone I'm speaking into, I I need other people. And so for me to feel like, oh, I have to have all the answers all the time is abundantly clear that I don't because I don't know how to create a refrigerator that pours water for me. Like I, I, I don't know how to do these things. And so this interweaving of our skills and our passions and our needs is we're, we're wired that way. And so it's not bad to feel like you're insufficient and that you need some outside help because you can give help to other people as well. So I think that's one. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, I feel like it's a call to transcend our egos, to make the shift from fear to love. Mm. And that big self, the big uh, spiritual self operates from love. There are some super highways that can take you from fear to love, like gratitude, acceptance, forgiveness, being in nature, meditating watching an ocean. And I feel like those things are so important. So on a spiritual level, that's what I believe. Yes. On a practical level, there was a, um, a Zen priest named Suzuki Roshi, and he wrote, in the beginner's mind, the possibilities are endless, but in the expert mind, the possibilities are few. Mm-hmm. And so within a work context, the advantage that we have as a quote unquote imposter, also known as not knowing everything, Mm -hmm. is that we can ask a series of questions that clarify what is actually being asked or what actions are being uh, embarked upon 
in a way that adds tremendous value. Love that very much. There was so much that you added there that I really hope people like go back and you like a couple of minutes and just re-listen to that. You know, the the call to transform our egos and transition from fear to love was just beautiful. I, I wrote that one down. But also moving in a way that embraces that part of you. It, you be, you've created it so that that imposter syndrome is now an asset that it's guiding you, it's helping you. And it's helping you by opening you to being more curious and asking the right questions. And, and that's how we that's how we build rapport and how we connect with other individuals. So I love where you're going with this. It's, it's a, a great way to shift it, shift something that we all struggle with into something that can help us grow. That's fantastic. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's what it's, to me, that's what it's all about. Um, that's where it gets. You know how sometimes you uh, you have a, a project in your mind. This is the way I am as a boss. Like I have a project in mind. I can see the end of how this will be. And what I'm blind to are all the steps between where we are and where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. And people that I surround myself, when they ask a series of five to seven questions, it adds so much value to me as the boss, because it helps me think through things that I really haven't thought through very well. And I don't think I'm unique in that. I mean, I've also been an employee in a big corporation and a lot of times would be asked to do things and there would be no purpose to them. So asking the questions helped solidify and clarify what was at stake. So you actually created a process, right? Using these specific clarifying questions. Do you want to give us a little hint of one or two or all of them? It's up to you. (laughs) I do. I really do. When I find my fear of being insufficient really gets triggered in a work situation is when somebody asks me to do something that I'm not sure how to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In that case, what I have found is drawing out the other person's narrative about what's in their mind is helpful to them because it clarifies for them and amazingly helpful for me because I know exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing and exactly what satisfies the need that they are kind of articulating, but not very clearly. Mm -hmm. And so to draw, you know, a narrative arc, like, uh, you know, there's a, a situation, then there's a presenting, like something happens that starts the action and they try this and they try that and they try the next thing. Finally, they overcome all the obstacles, their success, and then there's happily ever after. It's it's story structure. It's the way we, we live our lives. Yeah. And so that's exactly the flow of the questions that I asked. The first question that I asked, first I said context. May I ask some clarifying questions so that I am sure that what I'm producing for you is exactly what you need? Perfect. Who's going to say no to that? Right, exactly. No, I don't want you to be clear about the expectations. (laughs) Exactly. No, I don't think so. That phrase, are you open to a conversation about, 
is one of the most powerful tools I've ever learned. No one has ever said to me, no, they've said not now. Right. Mm -hmm. But they've never said no. So the first question after you set that context is why now? Okay. Why now? Because a lot of projects in work are nice to have until something happens and then they're need to have. So what got it off the shelf? Why now? It's a great question. Mm -hmm. The second is what's at stake here? If this project doesn't go well or isn't done right, what's at stake? And then follow-ups for the company, for the team, for the brand, for the business. Here's the kicker for you personally. Because all of a sudden then you're getting your boss or the person that's requesting this to think about, oh God, you know, I'm trying to make a down payment on a new house. And you know, like, I do have some skin in the game. Mm-hmm. The third is, so that's, you know, the crisis. Then we want to know what I call the big hope. Like what's, what's, what's possible here? So the question is, if this project exceeds your expectation, what does that look like? Mm. Paint the picture for me. And then we want to know their condition, what I call conditions of satisfaction. It is what criteria, what mental checklist do they have Mm. for what constitutes a successful project? And this is where I probe on what's the deadline. How are you going to use my output so that I format what I create in a way that you can just pick up and use? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it a team effort? Is it an individual effort? Like, give me your checklist that I know you have in your head, but let's make it explicit so that I'm sure I'm going to deliver what you want by the time you want it in the most helpful format. And then the fifth one uh, is who is the champion of this initiative and who is the challenge? Mm. And is it okay with you if I connect with each of them so that I understand the environment that my work is going to be received into? Oh, that's interesting. Have you had it come up with that question that led to some fear on their part of, of telling you that? What's interesting is that it's a frame that most people don't think through. Yeah. And so framing it as who's championing this and who's challenging it, it makes them think in a different way, sort all the information that they have. And if it comes up with some fear, what I will say is if I can understand the challenger's point of view, then I can make sure what I'm creating addresses their concern and helps ensure that it's going to be well-received by everyone. Mm, I like that. I don't think any of this is objectionable. No. What I will say is this is about the extent of the questions. I worked with one woman who had to know about 98 things before she would embark on a project and she became such a, there was such a high cost of working with her that it wasn't worth the skill and the output that she had. But these questions are whittled down to the five things that you really need to know. 
And then when you are delivering whatever was requested, there's a way to sell it, present it, so that you first start with the crisis and the risk and what's at stake. And then you paint the picture of the big hope and put a number to it, even if you are afraid to. Five concepts, three strategies, whatever it is, put a number on it. And then remind them of what the checklist is, the criteria, the conditions of satisfaction in my language. And then you present what your solution is. And it's pretty darn magical. I imagine. And you know, it is taking us a little bit off of the imposter syndrome, but not really, uh, that what I'm thinking about is how many people come to me and ask for tips and strategies to manage up. This is a beautiful way to manage up and over and down and all over and around. But that's one of the things that comes to mind for me because so many people struggle with that. And this is really honed in and can help tremendously, I would think. It does. And where I honed this myself was I had an innovation agency Mm -hmm. and, uh, I only worked on a project basis. So I didn't have any retainer clients. I had 20 something employees. And so I needed to sell half a million dollars worth of projects every month. And I use this when a client would call and say, hey, I have a project. Could you put together a proposal? And I would say, first, let me ask you, do you just need a number for a budget or is this a live project? If you need a number for a budget, happy to give it to you. No, it's a live project. Great. May I ask you some questions? They would go down like a menu. I want six focus groups in two cities, da, 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 da. I would say, you know what? Great. May I ask you some clarifying questions? And I would write this. And it was so valuable to these potential clients that I closed 85% of all the projects that I pitched. Because my proposals always addressed these hidden things that they hadn't articulated before they talked to me. Mm, It's so good. It's so good. Now, is this one of those things, like, I'm curious, going back a little bit to what we were talking about, other women, that this is a... This is something that a lot of us do feel. And and I'd love for you to provide a, a tip for these women and how we might be able to help them when we run across them. Because that, that's what I think, that supporting each other is a big part of it. I mean, do you share these questions? Is there something else that you can think of that we can help other women at work to support them? Yeah, there are two ways. One, I am... I have put together this list of questions, happy to share it with anybody that's interested because I have found so much power mm-hmm. in them. The second thing is when I'm in a meeting and I'm not the only woman anymore, um, if there are two, if there's one or more other women and they say something and they get talked over, I always say, hey, as Madeline just said, da, 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 da. Or I really think that when Sarah first said that, da-da-da-da-da, right? Because a lot of times in my experience, if it's a male-dominated meeting, 
some woman will say something brilliant and four comments later, a guy will say it and everybody thinks it's great. And so I always make a point of saying, yes, when Sarah first mentioned that idea, I thought, et cetera. It's um, like we have to have each other's backs in a way that we are verbally acknowledging each other's contributions and value that's being added. You know, I find that um, with with each year that I mature, um, yes. <laughs> it it gets um, the the female relationships that I have get so much more beautiful and vibrant and supportive. There's not that same competitiveness that was from my 20s. Do you know what I mean? It's now it's how can we lift? How can we serve? How can we bond? How can we collaborate? And it just makes everyone's success so much greater. Um, so I love that you are helping to support women with this as well. That's fantastic. Now, before I come back to asking you, you know, about how people can get more of you in this information, I do like to ask of all of my guests, um, I imagine we may have started the show with this, but in this movement from fear to fire, do you have a specific story about a challenge or a fear that you overcame and what you learned from it? Well, obviously, drinking was a huge yeah. shift for me. And the first year that I wasn't drinking, I felt like a raw nerve all the time. What I found helpful then was having a few spiritual, what I call spiritual virtue, uh, spiritual values that I used as my intention and my practice for every day, like rigorous honesty. It's really hard when you feel like you're not good enough, or you feel like you're an imposter and you're going to get found out to practice rigorous honesty. Now, there may be places where you have to be appropriately <laughs> rigorously honest, like to be asked to do something and respond with, I have no friggin' idea how to do that. Probably yeah. not very deft or skillful, <laughs> but be to be able to say to yourself or your spouse or your closest friend, man, I have no clue. And then turn your attention to where can I, what is it that I don't know? And where can I get that information? And how can I ask it in a way that adds value rather than is annoying? Um, when I was first dating my now husband, oh my God, it was a night that was full of Kay Allison mistakes. <laughs> I, I left my car and my keys with a valet and then I couldn't find the ticket. And we went to the, I mean, it was just a mess. And he looked at me and he said, um, we'd been dating three weeks. He goes, does this happen to you often? <laughs> and I was like, do I pretend or do I tell him the truth? And I thought, I'm going to practice telling him the truth. And I said, yes, yes, it does. And he said, <laughs> oh my God, that is so endearing. I thought of you as this totally knit together, put together woman who's super successful. And to know <laughs> that you cannot manage where your keys are and you lose stuff. I got to tell you, I love that. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, and we expect, we have these expectations, 
you know, you thought he might be disappointed or whatever. And you're like, I'm just going to do the right thing. I'm going to be honest. And then you got that surprise, beautiful connection point. And I think that happens so much more than any of those worries that we have. I I love that. That's wonderful. Okay, so now I want to know, because I know the listeners want to know, how can they get a hold of you? What is there anything that you're working on that you want people to know about? Let us know a little bit more about that. Great. Thank you. I am happy to send a PDF of this list of questions with a couple bonus questions just email me. It's my name, my first name at my first last name.com. So K K A Y at K Allison.com. Just write in the subject line PDF and I will send it to you. No questions. No need to sign up. No need for anything. Here's what I'm developing. I am developing this idea into a series of workshops and speeches. Mm -hmm. And so if this resonates and you think it would be helpful to your organization, be it a women's organization or a business, please send me an email. I would so love to talk about whatever opportunities um, you're aware of. That's wonderful. Okay. So for those of you who don't have a pen handy, we will put a direct link to Kay's email into the show notes so that you can very easily go there and request those things of her. Thank you for that, Kay. It's time. It's time for the final parting words of wisdom. You've given us some great things already. What else do you have for us? I'm going to close with this roomy quote which is seek not for love, seek and find within yourself the barriers you have created against it. That's really good. I love Rumi and that I had not heard that one. That's wonderful. So Kay, thank you. Thank you for your journey, your story, your tips, your questions, everything that you've brought to us today. Thank you listeners. Um, we appreciate it when you let us know what you think of the shows. If you can think of somebody that that may have imposter syndrome or who may want to workshop on this in their organization, share the show, share Kay's information. We love sharing time is a happy time here. We learned it in kindergarten and we like to be proponents of that too. So thank you all. And until next week, have a beautiful day.